Genesis chapter 39 tonight. Let us pray, and then we will open up the teaching. Lord, we thank you for worship, God. Thank you for your word. We thank you for getting us here safely, as Mike prayed, Lord, and giving us an opportunity to to grow deeper in you. I pray that you would speak to us through this text, through the life of Joseph. You had so much to say uh, about him because there's so much you want to teach us through him. So I pray that we would learn what it is you want to get across to us tonight. Speak to us personally. In your name, amen. Have you ever found yourself purposing to live the Christian life, purposing to be faithful, but not really seeing the benefits. It's like you're doing everything you can think of to do. You're reading your devotions, you're praying, you're worshiping, you're fasting regularly, you're serving in the church, you're doing all these things, and it seems like, what's the point? What's, what's, what am I, what am I getting out of this. Now, obviously, that's the wrong heart and that's the wrong perspective, but we can find ourselves in this place that it's like, hey, this Christian thing isn't, isn't really working out for me. And I'm being faithful, but God, where are you? You're not, you're not blessing me like maybe you were in the beginning of our relationship. Need I remind you of what Paul said to the church in Galatia, chapter 6, verse 9. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Well, why would Paul have to tell them and us to not grow weary in doing good? Because we grow weary in doing good. We get sometimes tired of being faithful, especially when we're not seeing the blessing of the Lord. But what we're going to see in this chapter and specifically later in Joseph's life, that regardless of what's happening right in front of us, faithfulness eventually will pay off. Which brings me to the title of this teaching, Faithfulness Pays Off. Faithfulness Pays Off. We shall see in Joseph's life, and even in this text, that despite being betrayed, despite being enslaved, despite being falsely accused and imprisoned, Joseph remains faithful. And though we don't see an immediate reward for Joseph's faithfulness, we do see the Lord continue to bless him and recognize that he had this bigger plan, this bigger purpose for Joseph, and this faithfulness of his certainly will pay off. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now, if you recall, just to catch you up to speed, if you were here last week or if you weren't, uh, we saw in Genesis chapter 37, coat of many colors, his son, or sorry, um, uh, his brother, Joseph's brothers betray him, throw him in a pit, sell him to the Ishmaelites, and then the Ishmaelites sell him to the Egyptians. Then last week we saw this uh, somewhat disturbing but informative story with Judah and Tamar and why it's important and how God used uh, actually these sinful acts to, to bring forth the Messiah and how he is a descendant from Perez. So God used all these different things. Now we're getting back to the story of Joseph and that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Okay, so we see Joseph is brought to Egypt and we see this reference to a Pharaoh. Now, which Pharaoh was this? We can't be positive. Okay, many scholars debate which Pharaoh this was, but the majority, at least in my findings, say that this specific Pharaoh was of this line of kings called the Hyksos kings. 
H-Y-K-S-O-S. And in fact, this group, they were invaders from the east and they took over Egypt for a time period. Now, it's believed that this group, well, they were referred to as the shepherd kings. And many believe that this group of kings were Semitic, meaning that they had a lineage, a common family member with the Hebrews, with Abraham and his lineage, which is really, really interesting. Now, if this is true, and we don't know for sure, but there's a lot of history that uh, that supports this and points to this. If this is true, it makes sense why this specific Pharaoh was so inviting to not only Joseph, but also his entire family. Because what do we see later in the next book in the Bible in Exodus? We see another Pharaoh. Now, at the time that Moses came on the scene, we see that the Egyptians took back over Egypt. This guy's, these other people, Hyksos, uh, kings were invaders, but Egyptians uh, kind of restored their kingdom, okay? And no longer are those these Hyksos kings in power. Now we see this Pharaoh in Exodus that says, didn't know Joseph. And he didn't know the family of Israel. And what did he start doing? started persecuting them, right? He started persecuting the Hebrew family. Now, if this history is accurate, which I believe it is, we don't know for sure again, that 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 paints us a, a nice picture and helps us understand how God used in his sovereignty even different leadership because God places all authority in the world, even this group of kings, so that they would bring the Israelites into Egypt. Very interesting to think about, but that's not the main point of this text. Look at what it says here. It talks about Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, meaning he was like the captain or leader of Pharaoh's bodyguards. Okay, so he was like the real deal, the 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 man that protected Pharaoh and organized the other men to protect Pharaoh. Pharaoh. But this word officer here in the Hebrew, it's the word saris, S-A-R-I-S. And one of the translations of this is eunuch, which is really interesting. Many believe that Potiphar was a eunuch. This word also can mean chamberlain. Now, if Potiphar was a eunuch, it would really give some color and context to this story. Because what's going to happen, not to ruin the story, most of you know, but Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife starts coming on to Joseph. And this whole ordeal happens, and that's what leads Joseph uh, into prison. That's why he's thrown into prison. Now, his wife obviously is promiscuous, but if her husband's a eunuch, not to sympathize with her, but it, 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 it paints a more colorful picture. Understand, well, he's... He's castrated because that was a normal thing in this day and age. See, officers who were close to the king, specifically the king's court, they were often castrated so that there wasn't as much of a desire in them uh, to take over the kingdom so that they were more loyal. They didn't have to worry about them taking over the kingdom or taking their queens or all these different things. So this was a, a normal thing in culture. And we see throughout the Bible different leaders that are eunuchs. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Lord was with Joseph and Joseph was successful. See, it's ultimately God's faithfulness that brings each individual success. But he also often brings success to the faithful. 
That's what we see here with Joseph and his life. See, God prospered Joseph, but we have to give Joseph some credit. Remember, we don't see one specific sin mentioned in Joseph's life. Now, we can see uh, symptoms like entitlement. We've talked about those things before, but there's not one sin that's pointed out that Joseph actually committed. Yes, he boasts about his dreams, but there's nothing that Joseph actually sinned because he was a he was a faithful man he was a great example and his faithfulness ultimately god's faithfulness but his faithfulness as well led him to have a successful life which brings me to the first of five points faithfulness leads to success faithfulness leads to success And this isn't a word of faith thing, name it, claim it. But there's a reality in Scripture that God does bless faithfulness. And we see he blessed Joseph partly because of his faithfulness. There's more reasons behind it, but that's one of the big reasons. Now, what's really interesting to me here, it says that Joseph was a successful man. But what is he at this point? He's a slave. He's a slave, but he's considered successful. Now think about this. When you were a kid, I'm sure when you were dreaming about what you were going to become when you became older, Adam always wanted to be a police officer. We know that. But other than that, some of you maybe wanted to be doctors or lawyers or even actors. And you're like, oh, I want to be the director of a movie or athlete or baseball player, football player, all these different things. Very few people were like, when I grow up, I want to be a slave. No, and I'm sure that's not what Joseph is thinking, but that's the position that God had him. And even in that position, he was a successful slave. Why? Because he made the most of his situation and he remained faithful to God. Even as a slave, he gave it all that he had. That points to another truth. That if Joseph is, and we see he's got great work ethic, we'll see that he's entrusted by Potiphar and even the uh, prison guard later on in the story, Joseph was successful very much because of his faithfulness. Even as a slave, he was successful because he gave it all he had. And this points to another character quality, contentment. He was content even being a slave. There's a quote that I'd like to read for you. It's this. It's not it's it is not great gain that brings contentment, but contentment that brings great gain. It's first Timothy chapter six, verse six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Despite the fact that he was a slave, the lowest of lows, he was content in what God had for him, and he remained godly. He remained faithful, and we'll see because of that, he is going to experience great gain. Think about it. Two chapters ago in Genesis 37, we were introduced really to Joseph. We remember when he was born, but as we get some uh, color and context as to who he is, we talked about he was the fact that he was this favored child, but he was also this entitled child. So he goes from this favored child, this entitled child to becoming a slave. But we still see God's favor on his life. God granted him success. But he also granted him a challenge, a pretty difficult challenge. If you ask me, going from the favored child to becoming a slave, that's no easy challenge. What was he teaching him? A very important principle that we see Jesus communicate time and time again. Before you can become the greatest, you have to be the what? The least the last he's going to make joseph the greatest person in his family as far as authority goes and what he does in egypt but before he can gain that position he has to make him least he has to make him last we don't become the greatest by trying to be the greatest we come become the greatest by trying to be the least that's what jesus taught us and that's what god is teaching joseph In this text, he challenges him to become the least so that he'll be ready to become the greatest when it's his time. See, sometimes God grants us challenges in the present 
to set us up for success in the future. He does that so often. That's what he's doing here with Joseph. He's successful, but he's successful through a challenge so that God can make him even more successful when it comes his time to literally save his entire family. Genesis chapter 39, picking it up in verse 3. It says, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So we see, obviously, again, the Lord is with him, but his master noticed it. When people looked at Joseph's life, when Potiphar looked at Joseph's life, they saw God's hand at work. They saw blessing. They saw prosperity. They saw success. Not only did he succeed as a slave, but he also must have done it in a way that brought God glory. God was glorified through this. And God was with him. Again, God prospered him. And I believe... The reason that Joseph operated in this position the way that he did, bringing God glory and honor is exactly because of this verse. He knew something. He knew the Lord was with him. He knew God was with him. So he gave it all he had. He wasn't doing this for Potiphar. He was doing this as unto the Lord. See, the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord is with us. And sometimes we can forget that. That God is with us every moment, every day. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. When we're being faithful and when we're not being faithful. See, I don't think we'd ever be faithful if we always practice his presence, right? If we practiced his presence and we always acted as if we knew that he was right there with us, we would never sin again. But we don't. We forget sometimes. We forget that he's, oh, God's not going to see this like, what? No, he is. He's going to see every single thing that we do. I believe Joseph was able to be faithful because he knew that the Lord was with him. And that's something that we ought to do ourselves to practice his presence, not to be faithful. Colossians 3 talks about it, not to be faithful just for our taskmasters or our employers or when someone's looking, but because God is always looking. Now, we see in Joseph's life that God's hand obviously was upon him. He prospered him. He blessed him. Is God's blessing evident in your life? Is his blessing evident in your life? Which brings me to the second point. Faithfulness leads to blessedness. Faithfulness leads to blessedness. Now, we know that we... that. Grace is a free gift and God pours out his favor on us regardless of what we do. But we also see he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There are these specific blessings that are attached to our faithfulness. But that's not the specific blessing that I'm talking about when I say blessedness. If you remember back when we studied the Beatitudes, the word blessed means what? It means happy. It means joyful. Do people see the joy of the Lord in your life? Not, I'm not talking about everything you have. With this great family or these great material things or all these different things. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. Faithfulness, it leads to blessedness. Faithfulness leads to joy. When we're walking in the word, when we're doing what God has called us to do, we have joy. We experience joy. It's when we aren't practicing his presence and we're not doing what he's called us to do. That's when we start to get a little irritable. That's when we start to get a little miserable. When we start walking in our flesh, not walking in the spirit, when we start acting unfaithfully and not faithfully, that's when we give the enemy the opportunity to rob us of our joy. Is the joy of the Lord Lord present in your life? Are you someone that people want to be around? Seriously, as a Christian, the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy's number two, right? 
That's 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 a given that should be coming out of us. But is it or are you a miserable Christian? Are you a complaining Christian? Are you constantly complaining about your work or your family or whatever it is? Because if you're complaining and you're a Christian, that's like an oxymoron. There should be no such thing as a complaining Christian. When we consider who we are, what we've done, knowing the Bible, what we deserve, anything in this life is better than what we deserve, right? What do we truly deserve? For the wages of sin is death, right? Hell and death, that's what all of us deserve. Anything better than that should just give us plenty of reason to be joyful, Okay, wow, this might be a tough trial or a difficult challenge, but it's better than what I do deserve. And when we look at our lives, filtering it through the gospel, because we can forget the gospel too, recognizing that we're sinners, the wages of sin is death. And the only reason that God is allowing us to live, not only here, but in eternity, is because of grace. Nothing we did, nothing we earned, nothing we deserve. So what is there to complain about see when we're faithful when we're walking faithfully when we're listening to the lord and walking in what he's called us to the fruit of that is going to be the fruit of the spirit it's going to be love it's going to be joy we'll be happy i see so many christians and it drives me crazy we have a lot of joyful people at this church okay so don't think i'm talking to you unless i am i don't know but there's some there's people sometimes that it's like, man, every time I, I talk to this person here or out there, whatever church, it's like, dude, they're always like smug and they're complaining about stuff. And it's like, bro, do you do you realize what you have? Do you realize the gift that's been given to you? What do you have to complain about? Now, I'm not taking anything away from people going through serious issues and having some sorrow, having some heartbreak. That's very normal. But across the board, if you've been like that for a year or two, there's something wrong with you. You've forgotten the grace of God. You've forgotten the fruit of the Spirit. And most of the time, that points to this, unfaithfulness, not doing what God's told you to do. You're projecting and blaming it on my circumstances or my situation or someone else. It's exactly what Adam did. It was the woman that you gave me. It's her problem. It wasn't me. I mean, I ate the fruit, but she ate it first. It's like, no, when we get into that mentality, complaining and blaming, the reality of it is when I first hear that from someone, I'm thinking, where are they sinning in their life? How have they fallen into sin? Because the fruit of the Spirit is joy when we're walking faithfully, doing what God's called us to do. The fruit of that will be this blessedness, this happiness. We're supposed to be happy Christians. God's called us to be happy, but we can only be happy if we're holy and we're walking in holiness. Genesis chapter 39, verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight, speaking of Potiphar, and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Look at this, because Joseph practiced the Lord's presence, not only did he gain favor with God, but he also gained favor with man. Which brings me to the third point. Faithfulness to God often, keyword often, leads to favor from man. Faithfulness to God often leads to favor from man. He found favor with God. He found favor with man. He found favor with Potiphar because he was doing things as unto the Lord, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But we also see that when we're faithful, we don't always gain favor from man. Sometimes it ticks people off. Sometimes they see the blessing on our lives and they get jealous. They get envious. Like who? Like his brothers, right? His brothers, because of the favor God bestowed on him, they absolutely hated him. So this isn't like a works every time thing. That's why the word often is in there. When we're doing things as unto the Lord, when we're being faithful to God, often we will find favor with men. And look at this. It says he made him overseer over everything in his house. He was faithful with the little things. And God did what? Made him ruler over many things. It's Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. It says just that. 
Jesus. He's talking about the parable of the talents and his message through that is, hey, when God entrusts you a little bit and you're faithful with that little bit, he's going to bless you with so much more. But so often we want the blessing with the big things. We want to prove that we can be faithful with the big things when we haven't been faithful with the little things. And it's like common sense, right? We're not going to be faithful with the big things if we haven't been faithful with the little things. There's no way Joseph is becoming overseer if he's just slacking off as a slave, right? He'd get sold to another another ruler. But when we are faithful with the little things, God will entrust more to us. Sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that, hey, I got this this mundane task or this job that I really don't like. And if I can just get by, if I can just do what it takes to not get fired, if I can put up enough effort just to like make sure I still get my paycheck, eventually God's going to take this away from me and give me something better. Probably not. He probably won't. He'll probably keep you in that same job until you learn this thing, until you learn faithfulness. Why? Because if God says, well, you don't like your job, the one that you have now, you think it's mundane, you're not grateful for it, so you slack off, you don't put forth effort. What if he does bless you with something better? Eventually, that job's going to become the mundane job. And you're going to be slacking off with that once you lose interest in it. And then you're going to be unfaithful with that job as well. And this could be careers, but this could be even little tasks around the house. God's looking at the little things more than he is even the big things. Because he knows anyone can show up for the big event, right? But it's more difficult to show up for the little events. It's more difficult to to clean the bathroom than it is to preach from the pulpit. I'm being honest. But in all sincerity, it's, it's more difficult to do these little things. When we do do these little things, the Lord blesses us with more things. That's what he does with Joseph. Joseph is faithful as a slave. And Potiphar, God through Potiphar, blesses him with more. Blesses him with a greater position. Genesis 39, verse 5. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for, sorry, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. See, Joseph, as I said, he did everything as unto the Lord. And God didn't only bless Joseph, but who? He also blessed Potiphar and his whole house. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says just that, do everything as unto the Lord. And when we truly live our lives like that, when we purpose to do everything as unto the Lord, God will bless us so abundantly that often those blessings, as we see in the text, will overflow to other people. They'll benefit from our faithfulness. And many of you have probably seen that in your family dynamic. When a man is being faithful to the Lord... His wife gets a little bit of that blessing, right? And the children get a little bit of that blessing. That blessing overflows. God blesses the man or even the woman, and, and, and it overflows to the rest of the people in the house. See, picking it up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You hear that? Potiphar entrusted everything to him. He didn't even account for it. He wasn't even keeping track. All he knew, this is what it's saying, all he knew, hey, when he came to eat dinner, the bread was there. When he came for supper, the food was there. He didn't worry about the rest of his resources. That's a lot of trust. That's a great deal of trust. And that trust was imparted to Joseph once again because of what? Because of his faithfulness. Fourth point, faithfulness inspires trustworthiness. Words are very similar. Faithfulness inspires trustworthiness. When we're faithful with the things that God entrusts to us, then men will begin to entrust things to us as well. 
when you look at society today, and, and as a, if any of you have ever been like an employer that hires people, really, Christians are the best people to hire if they're really Christians, right? Why? Because they have phenomenal work ethic. They have character. They're not going to cheat you. They're not going to lie to you. They're going to do everything as unto the Lord. Christians should be the best employees on the face of the earth. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not. But that comes down to their personal relationship with the Lord. But that's what's happening here. Joseph is so faithful to God that Potiphar just trusts everything with him to him. Sorry, because he's doing everything as unto the Lord. Genesis 39 verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be done with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was were inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. You see what it says here? It says that Joseph says here in verse um, 9, it says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Okay, not sin against Potiphar, not sin against her, not sin against anyone other than God. He's meditating on God. He's considering God. He knows this sin is directly against God because though he's a slave, God is still prospering him. God's hand is still on his life. Despite the difficulty, he still honored God. And in the midst of this temptation, there's nobody there. There's no other men in the house. Potiphar's wife, it's not like this is a one-day thing. She keeps egging him on. She keeps asking him, Come on, Joseph. Come on, Joseph. And we don't see any indication that Joseph has had any other conversation with a woman since he's been there. Okay, so he's a man. He has needs. We know he has children later, but that's not getting the best of him. He makes the righteous decision, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. Fifth point, faithfulness isn't easy. Faithfulness isn't easy. It's often difficult But if we purpose in our hearts like Joseph did, like Daniel did, not to defile ourselves and look for the way of escape like he did, then we can remain faithful. That's exactly what Joseph does here. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The temptations that we face in this world, they're very common. We're not going to face any face anything that someone before us hasn't faced, at least something similar. But God says, hey, I will give you a way of escape. Joseph saw the way of escape. He saw the door of escape and he literally ran through it. He ran from this temptation, which is also another biblical truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. Literally flee. Like Paul's saying, run away from it. I wonder if he was thinking about Joseph. I don't know, but that's exactly what we see him do in the midst of the temptation to practice this sexual act and commit adultery against not only Potiphar, but his Lord, his master, God, Yahweh. He sees the way of escape. He runs through the door. See, we can't just look for the way of escape. We got to run through the door of escape. We might see, oh, I'm tempted in this thing. God's given me a way out. There's a door right there. You can just imagine what the door is in whatever case, whatever temptation it is. But we can't just look at the door. We got to run through the door. That's what Joseph does. Genesis chapter 39, 
verse 13. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us, blame it on Potiphar, to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. What? Potiphar's wife accusing Joseph of raping her, saying, oh, I have his coat. This is proof of what he's done. She's trying to get Joseph in trouble. But but Joseph's faithful. Why would God allow this thing to happen? See, just because we're faithful doesn't mean that we're not prone to accusation. Even when you are faithful, sometimes when you're faithful, the more prone you are to accusation. I remember hearing a story about Billy Graham. And everywhere he went, he would always bring someone with him, whether it was an elevator or a hotel room, because he constantly had different people trying to set him up with pictures with prostitutes and doing these stupid things and just having the woman there. And it happened to him in his hotel room before. So he always brings someone with him because the media was always trying to catch him in an act, an act that he wasn't even committing just so they could discredit the gospel and what he stood for in all those crusades. But it's not just the people that are behind this. It's the enemy. In Revelation chapter 12, we see this distinct characteristic of the enemy that's being displayed through here through Potiphar's wife. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 11, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Speaking of the enemy, he's the accuser of the brethren. In context, he was talking about devil, Satan, serpent. Okay, he's the accuser of the brethren. Then look what it says in verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. We see the enemy, he loves to bring accusation against God's people. And even faithful men are prone to accusation. The enemy will bring accusation to faithful men, the accuser of the brethren. That's the implication of the brotherhood of Christ, the Christians, the people that are doing it, the people that are living it and walking with the Lord. That's who he's bringing accusation against. He pinpoints the believer to try to discredit their testimony. And that's what it says they overcome by. They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Because anything the enemy throws at them, any accusation that he makes against them, we see over time that their testimony proves their faithfulness. He can't destroy our testimony, but he'll try. He'll do whatever he can to tarnish a believer's testimony. But we have to remember this. God's justification is greater than the enemy's accusation every time. It's greater, and we can trust in that. Even if something gets said about us that's not true, recognize God will justify you. That accusation will prove false if it's false because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If our testimony is true, it will hold true. The accusation will go away, and God will restore that. He'll justify that, as he will with Joseph a few chapters later. Genesis chapter 39 Verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. 
we see Potiphar, his anger is aroused, but it doesn't say who his anger is aroused against. We could imply, uh, yeah, he's probably angry at Joseph, but the reality of it is he might be a little angry at Joseph, but I believe he knows his wife. Okay. This wasn't like a one-time thing. She was coming on to Joseph time and time again. The truth of the matter is that she was likely a fornicator, and this was something that she fell into time and time again. We don't know for sure, but the implications are there. It says that his anger was aroused. And you know what's interesting here? His anger is aroused, and we'll see in verse 20 that he puts him in prison. Now, the, in Egyptian culture, the, the consequence for adultery or sleeping with another man's wife, that person was killed. Potiphar easily could have had Joseph killed. Why didn't he have Joseph killed? Well, part of it could have been because of his relationship that he had built with Joseph, but more likely than not, he knew his wife. And he knew Joseph uh, was either not the only guilty party or not guilty at all. So he goes to a lesser sentence. Let's put him in prison. Because what is he supposed to do? His hands are kind of tied. If this woman who's an Egyptian, greater than the Hebrew slave, is saying that this man raped her, he's kind of limited in what he can do. So he does the lesser thing and he puts him in prison. Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Now, this is interesting. Joseph, we've been talking about how faithful he's been as a slave, as an overseer, didn't even uh, outstep his boundaries and sleeping with Potiphar's wife. But now he's imprisoned. He goes from being a slave to imprisoned. This even worse punishment, if you consider it a punishment, but it's actually not. See, just because you're faithful doesn't mean that you're not going to fall into or walk into challenges in your life. Not Just because you're faithful, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficulties. Just because you're faithful doesn't mean that everything is going to go your way all the time. See, bad things happen to good, God-fearing, faithful people. They just happen. But we'll see that God uses all these things to work together for good. See, If Joseph doesn't go to prison, later we'll see he doesn't meet the cupbearer and the baker. He doesn't interpret their dreams. Then later he's not able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So if he's not put into prison, God could have done another thing. But he uses all these things to place him in the position to restore, to redeem, to save his family from the famine. So he uses all of it. Now, I don't know what Joseph was thinking about this. God, why do you have me in prison? I'm sure you had the question. But what's interesting here is that despite he go, the fact that he goes through another hardship, once a slave, now a prisoner, he still remains faithful. See, it's better to be faithful in a physical prison than to be unfaithful in a spiritual prison. What do I mean? It's Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lewdness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to to righteousness. See, Joseph, he remained faithful when we choose because of difficulty, because of uh, hard circumstances, because things just aren't going our way. 
God, I'm angry at you because you allowed what to happen in my life. Imagine if that was the perspective that Joseph had. Then not only would he be a slave physically, he'd also be a slave spiritually. We can allow hard things in our life lead us to this place that we justify sin. Well, God wasn't blessing me when I was faithful, so I'm just going to continue on in the life that I used to live. But that's not the right heart. That's not the right mindset because we think sometimes, well, before I came to the Lord, I was free to do whatever I wanted. The Bible says, no, you weren't. You were a slave to sin. Sin controlled what you did. You thought you had control of your life and you didn't want to give God control of your life. But the reality of it is, is that freedom is false. And the only freedom that we have is becoming slaves to Christ. That's the only way see joseph he chooses to still be in a sense a slave to god he chooses faithfulness yes he might be physically imprisoned but he's spiritually free because he's doing what god has called him to do he's remaining faithful even through these difficult circumstances genesis chapter 39 verse 21 But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Listen to that. First of all, we see that the Lord was still with him. When we face difficult circumstances, when we face tragedies, when we face challenges in our life, sometimes we can lean on this lie, this idea that God isn't with us. But God is with him through the difficulty. He's with him as a slave. He's with him as a prisoner. We see Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and John chapter 6 that he's with the disciples in the storm. That's a lesson for us. Jesus, he remains with us in the storm. Even though it's hectic, it's chaotic, it's crazy. Our life seems to be at risk. Even when it's that severe, the Lord is still with us. And the Lord was still with Joseph. And it's interesting here. It says he showed he showed him mercy. When you look at that, you're like, wait, how is he getting mercy? (laughs) He's not even guilty. He's innocent of this act that Potiphar's wife is accusing him of, but God's giving him mercy? Well, despite the fact that Joseph's faithful, he's not perfect. Faithfulness doesn't imply perfection. And because Joseph's not perfect, we know that Jesus was the only one that was. There had to be some sin in his life. And what does Joseph actually deserve? Though it's unjustified when you consider Potiphar's wife and the accused rape, he still, because he's not perfect, he deserves death, right? We said it, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So God still has mercy on him because he didn't get what he deserved as a sinner, but also practically, yes, he was supposed to be killed for this accusation and God had mercy on him. Not only does he have mercy on him, look what it says. Verse 21, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. What's favor? That's grace. Not only did he give him mercy, he didn't get what he did deserve, but he had favor. He got more than he deserved. He gave him favor with the uh, the, um, sorry, the keeper of the prison. I kept wanting to say gatekeeper for some reason. The keeper of the prison. He gave him favor with him. And that's what's so awesome about the Lord. Not only does he give us mercy, not getting what we deserve, but he gives us favor. He gives us grace. He gives us more than we do deserve. Not only do we not have to face hell and death if we're believers, but we get heaven. We get more. It's an amazing thing. That's what we see here, a picture of with Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Again, Joseph, he remains faithful as a prisoner. The Lord blesses him. The Lord bestows favor on him. He builds this relationship with the keeper of the prison. And once again, trustworthiness is 
displayed and he's the he's in charge of all the prisoners. I don't know what this would look like practically, but it's a fascinating thing. Joseph, such a faithful man. But again, though Joseph was faithful, he wasn't perfect. The most faithful saints in the world, the most faithful saints in the scriptures, they still have room for growth. They still need to grow. And that's what God's doing here. As I said, he makes all things work together for good and he's using all these different things. Remember, in Genesis chapter 37, the title of that teaching was the entitled child. He had a lot of entitlement. He was the favorite and he told everyone about it. The Lord is still purging him of entitlement. We don't see the same signs of entitlement here, but God is still shaping him. He's still molding him to become the leader that's truly going to bring salvation to his family. He's still a work in progress. What's the greatest way to purge someone of entitlement? Someone thinking that they deserve more than they actually do. Say making him a slave, that's a pretty good idea. And then not only that, you're going to make him a prisoner? It's like, what? Talk about humility. Going from this prideful boaster to a humble man. Because to be a great leader, we have to be humble. That's what Jesus taught us to be the servant of all. Humility is a quintessential character quality to become the leader that God's called us to become. Now, I don't know if... Joseph would have had to walk through all this had he not humbled himself in the beginning. But again, God uses all of this from being a slave to being in prison. As I discussed before, he's going to use this prison opportunity to meet a baker, to meet a cupbearer, to interpret some dreams. And that very gift is going to be the thing that God uses to open the door to bring the Israelites into the nation of Egypt to save them from the famine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. God, thank you for the the story of Joseph, such a such a fascinating man. Lord, so much to learn from him. God, he went through a lot but you made him go through a lot to make him something great. God, and I pray that as you walk us through different challenges, different disciplines, Lord, that we would recognize there's something so much bigger that you're doing. It's not that you don't care. It's not that your hand isn't on us or that you're not with us. Just as we see here, you're with us, Lord. In the hard times, in the good times, even when we don't see you, you're there. God, so I pray that you would instill in us a heart of faithfulness, that we would purpose to do everything as unto you and recognize, even if we don't see the blessing in it, it's not about the blessing. It's just about being in relationship with you. But we'd also recognize that with that faithfulness, eventually it pays off. You are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. God, and I pray that that, that we would be able to see that. Lord, that we would be able to see our faithfulness uh, pay off. Not that you owe that to us, but because that's who you are. We love you. In your name.